Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel, here with Elias Randall. Eli, last week was a nice week for the markets. We finally got finally got a little bit of a rebound, and I actually saw a headline this morning on Bloomberg. Actually, two that kind of caught my mind. One was the FOMO that fund managers are having, as we saw this past rally. And you know, for those that don't know what FOMO is, it's fear of missing out. And we, we actually had this discussion that at some point, people are going to be nervous that they're going to miss the downturn in the market. And whether it's a head fake, a bear market rally, I don't know. But the market seems to have done significantly better in the last seven to seven or eight days. And I mean, hopefully it's relieving some anxiety that some people may have about the markets. So the article that you saw was about institutional money managers. Yeah. And they don't uh, know when to buy. Right. That's what it's getting yeah. at. Fear of missing out because think about a fund manager. If you're a fund, and I and I looked at a mutual fund that I have in my personal portfolio and I had like nine percent in cash, and it's a growth fund, had nine percent in cash. Well, if the market rallies and that manager sits on nine percent in cash, what's it going to look like at year end? Yeah, they're gonna. Yeah, they they're they, not gonna have the performance they could have. Right now, they're not gonna stock stack up against their peers. Start talking about a lower morning star rating. Maybe they miss a bonus. So. All of a sudden, there's this fear of missing out in this little market rally we have because what it really shows is people don't know. They don't know when the right time is to buy. And I started thinking about this on my way to work. This is what makes timing the market so hard because now they're letting emotions run its course. Boy, I don't want to underperform my peers because I was in cash and the market's rallying. I better get in. What does that, what, what happens to the markets then? It makes it exponentially faster going up because everybody's piling in and all of those i would i guess i don't know all i this is some speculation but a lot of those money managers are probably measured against what the s p 500 and their peers they, they're going to get benchmarked i mean whether their their employer benchmarks them or morningstar they're getting benchmarked so if you've got a growth fund and the the overall performance of growth fund was minus 21 percent for calendar year 2022 and you're minus 26, how's that look? You underperform your peers yeah. by 20%. And I'm not saying that, that that's the level of discrepancy we'll see, but there are definitely going to be some that do better than others unless they're just closet indexers, right? There's a whole bunch of funds that call themselves actively managed that are closet indexers. But I just thought it was funny the amount of, uh, the amount of retail, or not retail, but the amount of money managers that are running to get back into the market. Yeah, well, do you think there's retail investors that are ready to get back in or deploy um, cash that they have? I don't think so. I think if I think if retail investors are out, they're out, and they'll get back in when things get really good again. And what I mean by like that- after a recovery? Yeah, that's the normal cycle for a retail investor. It's capitulation, they give up. And I don't know as if we've actually hit capitulation in the market, but on the retail side, there are some people who've given up. They're like, the market's down 25, I can't take more. They get out and then they get fear of missing out when the market goes back to where it was like, man, I missed out on all that. I better get back in. And they miss out on all the gains. And and it's the number one reason we talk to people on the show really about not trying to time a market. It's really, really hard to do. And truth be told, most people aren't going to be able to do it on a consistent basis. I'm sure there's times when you can get lucky. Anybody can get lucky a time or two, but it's being consistent about it. What about consistently lucky? 
I wish. Yeah, me too. I, I actually, <laughs> I was on Facebook and there was a Facebook or YouTube reels and some guy was like, let me show you how to win at the slot machine. I'm like, this should be good. And he's something he's looking for in the machine. I'm like, this is such a scam. You are never going to win at that slot machine. There's not a way to cheat it unless you have like some cheat code from the manufacturer. I think there's a guy who, who used to work on those slot machines in Vegas. I, I think I saw a Netflix like documentary and he actually understood like the inner workings of the slot machines because he was programming, programming them. And that's so probably, can you cheat if you know that? Is there a way? Well, I'm sure if you know the internal workings and you're doing the programming. Hmm. But outside of that, I don't think average Joe on the street's going to figure out how to beat the, the slot machines. Nope. Nope. So consistently won't. lucky. I don't, I don't think that that can happen. Uh, but a couple of things we want to talk about today. Um, we're hitting close to the end of the year. So I want to talk about nine money moves to do, or that you should at least look at doing before year end. And, and one of the things that we're getting a lot of, a lot of questions about right now are Roth conversions. And it's because of a couple factors. One, there's this fear that we're going to have increased uh, tax rates in the future. And, and as we know, some of the tax and jobs cut act tax um, benefits go away in 2025. But the second thing is when the market's down 20, 25%, People see that as opportunistic to do a conversion as long as you're just converting, you know, the shares to that Roth IRA. One of the th things I thought we should talk about are what are some of the pitfalls or mistakes that people fall into here, Elias, and how can we actually avoid them? I have my kind of bias as to what what I think the number one pitfall is, but what do you, what's your number one kind of pitfall people fall into? For Roth conversions? Yeah, for Roth conversions. Um, probably ignoring all the tax consequences or the full tax consequences. And then maybe, you know, really it, it depends on the person, right? But sometimes if you're going to withhold those taxes and then only deposit into your Roth the net tax amount, it might take significantly longer to make, make those gains back. So it's usually better to just have the money in cash to pay the taxes. So I would think that's maybe an overlooked thing. Sometimes people just want to do Roth conversions for the future tax-free growth without considering where you're going to pay those taxes from, Yeah, what I'd, source. I agree with that. Um, I don't think people should do a Roth conversion unless they have the cash to pay the tax. You mentioned a good with, starting point. You mentioned withholding tax. Well- Let's think about this. If you have somebody or a client who's down 25% in their traditional IRA and they see this as an opportunistic time to potentially convert IRA dollars to Roth IRA. And then let's say they do 100,000 so that kicks them into the 25% tax bracket. Well, and they're and they're not going to pay write a check. They don't have the cash to write the check for the tax. They really gave themselves a 50% loss in the Roth IRA. I, I don't think that's worthwhile. Withholding tax, you should write the check. Why would you want to withhold tax from the place that's tax-free? Well, that that's a good question. If you don't have the cash to pay the extra tax bill, then it just right. it's easier. And arguably, for some people, maybe it just means that they don't really need to do a Roth conversion. And I think that's my number one thing is that 
people don't take a look at the big picture. They hear somebody say, well, you should do a Roth conversion because it's tax free forever without taking into account their entire tax situation. Uh, and, and we've ran into this with clients in the past. They're like, man, I want to convert all this Roth over five years. Well, there's all these unintended, unintended consequences like, oh yeah, you're 65 and you converted 300,000. So it increased your Medicare premium. Didn't think about it. can do that. Yeah. And if you're not going to be in a substantially higher tax bracket in retirement, maybe it doesn't make sense to do it. I've always had the thought that that Roth conversion really benefits two people the most, the young and the wealthy, because the wealthy are planning on transferring assets tax-free. So it doesn't really matter what tax rates are in the future. And then young individuals, they have so much time on their side that the Roth makes sense. Plus the amount they're converting is a small amount. I mean, if you're 32 years old and you had a hundred thousand, a 401k and you converted 20,000 year or five years, that's not going to really damage you from a tax standpoint that much. No, for most but, people. Yeah. Th but if that won't, if you're 59 and you're going to convert million and a half dollars in Roth money, but then you're going to start taking money in nine years. Does it make sense? I don't know. There's a lot more luck and in, luck involved. Then there is, there's more luck and there's more planning involved too. I think that's the key thing that, you know, before you make the, the decision to do a Roth conversion, just get the big picture, go get a financial plan done. Most of the planning software out there, you have the ability to model what it looks like in the future, what the break even is, and, and it'll help answer a lot of questions. The second big error I see people make is that they don't pay attention to the pro rata rule. And if you think about people who are doing Roth conversions, a lot of time they're more highly compensated people uh, because the, the tax-free distributions to them later are important. And people think that, hey, I have a after-tax uh, you know, 401k that I have 100,000, so I'm gonna convert that to a Roth. But there's this pro rata rule. If you have any other IRAs out there, it's only a proportionate tax benefit to that after-tax account. So you have to be careful that you don't have any traditional IRAs when you're doing these conversions because you could inadvertently not get the tax benefit which you think you're entitled to get. So the best thing to do on a Roth conversion is consult one, your financial advisor and your CPA. Ideally, if somebody's doing a Roth conversion, they're working in concert with their, their CPA and their financial advisor together. If you think about our clients that do this, we in, in a lot of our clients use the same CPA. We call the CPA and say, hey, what do you think about this situation? He prints out a 14-page report for him and says, here's all the different scenarios, and this is where I believe it makes the most sense for you long-term. Yeah, so we, ha yeah, we have clients that their CPA is doing an analysis of this decision, and then we're doing on our end, a plan and analysis of the decision. So there's more to it than, well, I just, I just think I should do it, right? We're doing all those things. We're looking at the big picture, figuring out the pro rata rules, if they're subject to any of that. And then ultimately there's a balance, right, of the tax consequences today versus the future benefit. But those are all things that you need to talk about and at least think through so you can make a good decision, right? Some of those, you might get the information back and think, well, I don't really like that. Like, let's say that 
tax consequence today. Well, of course, you're not going to like it, but is it in your best long-term interest? It could be, but at least you'll know it going in and you'll understand what you're trying to accomplish. And here's one thing, anybody who's having their only their attorney or not their attorney, but only their CPA put together the analysis, your CPA for the most part. And what they're hired to do is just look at the tax situation. We found this out with some people we work with. They don't look at what's going to happen to your Medicare premiums. They're strictly looking at it from a long-term tax situation. So that's where you might want to let your financial advisor review what the CPA has come up with and make sure it still makes sense for, for where you are and where you want to go in the future. I think, Elias, that most people would agree 2022 is kind of a, a year to forget from a financial standpoint. Can't believe we're already almost to November, but we can almost put this year behind us. I think most people would be happy to do that. So as we cover the nine money moves you guys can make or people should make before the end of the year, because we get to start fresh you can start your new goals now, just like we had a meeting this morning regarding business planning, we're already setting our goals for 2023 and laying a map out today to try to get them accomplished. Individuals can do this with their money too. They can, and it's a good time of year to do it. You can start putting together, like you just said, new goals and a, and a new plan. And even what you just said, it'd be nice to forget 2022. I don't know that anyone will anytime soon. I feel like it's going to be a – this year is probably going to go down as a year where there was a lot of pain in the markets, and it was um, maybe not the most fun year, but – we can start to move on, I guess, or at least, okay, where do we go from here? That's a good start, right? I, I know where for do sure, we go from here? I know for sure it hasn't been fun for 10 months. I don't know what the year end will look like, but I know the first 10 months of this year have not been fun. Uh, the second thing, you know, people should think about doing, and we talked about this two years ago, but once people get windfalls of money, they typically tend to do what? Spend them, waste them. And the end of the year is the time when people start to actually get windfalls from their employers, right? You have year-end bonuses. Maybe you had a deferred comp that's going to pay out. There could be a bunch of different reasons that you get a get what we call a year-end windfall. Have a plan for what you're going to do with that. If you know your bonus is $5,000, have a plan for it because if you just get the money, guess what's good, what your plan is going to be? Your default plan is going to be to spend it. Maybe you had just have an automatic button to click that ACH is that to your brokerage account. That'd be a good idea. You can make an off-schedule contribution to an account that you have. You could pay the tax on a Roth conversion. You could do that. So you say, oh, I mean, think about that. Someone could back into that to say, well, I know I'm going to get a $3,000 bonus. You could work with your CPA and your advisor come up with the amount you could convert. So you're just applying that bonus to it. Yeah. And I would say in a, th that's a good idea. I would also say in a year where markets are down 20 to 25% and you have extra cash, I don't see how in the future you're going to be upset that you deployed some of that cash into the markets, whether it's an ETF or a mutual fund or something. But I don't know. I mean, there's no there's no historical data that says when the market's down 20 to 25 percent, it's not a good buying opportunity. So I would keep that in mind, too. I agree with that. But also with a year end windfall, 
Sometimes the best investment's not an investment. It's paying off your 19% credit card bill that you have. Uh, yeah, that's a major, you know, and if major priority, what's going to happen, people are going to rack up their credit card bills. We're going into Christmas. They're going to, things are more expensive. People are going to have increased credit card bills. It happens every single year. Just earmark that money and say, I'm going to knock the credit card off with any, any windfall that we may get. How often do you check your credit? If I need to borrow money, that's when I check. I, I don't ever look unless I'm going to. I think actually one of my credit card statements has my credit score on like it. Like your FICO score they put on there. Every month. Do you yeah. pay attention to it? I don't make a point to look at it. But I, do, I, I could take, probably guess in the ballpark of what it is. I take it personal. Your credit score? Yeah. You take it personal. I watch it like. Why? I don't know. Just I'm proud of it. If it goes to a certain level, I'm like, man, I got to do something about it. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm seriously, I, 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 I check my credit and maybe it's, I mean, I'm not pulling a credit report, but like you said, my bank has a FICO score thing. I get, you know, my business credit card has, this is your current FICO score. I check it all the time. And if it's something doesn't make sense, I'm like, why doesn't that make sense? And that's how people should treat their credit a little more. Cause a lot of people only check it if they borrow money. How do you know if someone stole money from you? How do you know if somebody racked up your credit card bill? You, I look at my statements. How do you what know do you if mean? someone I, tried I to open? I wouldn't have to look at my credit score to know that. How do you know if someone tried to open credit in your name? I don't know. How would I know that? Checking your credit. You where, get, you're so saying like, on a credit report or where? Yeah. So if you set up like a LifeLock or some credit monitoring agency, anytime someone tries to open credit in your name, it automatically alerts you that someone's trying to open an account. So like when I, if you refinanced a mortgage, if you took a mortgage out, it'll say, is this you? Are you applying for this credit? Hmm. And it becomes meaningful to check that credit because, you know, it's, why would you want to know where, where your credit is, how to improve it, especially in a rising interest rate environment? The best rates go to the people with the best credit. Another thing that we've been working with a lot of clients on as one of our year-end strategies is consider cutting investment losses or harvesting losses to offset other maybe long-term gains you've carried over or other gains you have that you want to harvest. You know, a lot of people find it difficult to sell investments if they're in a non-retirement account that they've made a significant amount of money on. If you've made any investment in the last 12 months, there's a likelihood it's down in value. And you may be able to sell some of those at a loss to harvest others at a gain. Have you, I mean, I know we've been doing it. It is. And it's certainly in the, in the case where you're talking, where maybe someone needs to raise some money, you could sell some investments that have a gain on them and you could offset that gain by selling a position that has a loss. Um, you know, even if you wanted to do a rebalance, if you're, you could hold positions that are maybe fairly conservative that are down in value and you could, lock in some losses there, get them invested into something else um, that maybe has a better potential outlook for the future going forward. So there's definitely, there's definitely opportunities for investors inside of there. I mean, it's harder inside, excuse me, inside your non-retirement accounts, because that's where you're going to harvest any, any gains or losses. So certainly this year, 
this year it's probably at least a good conversation to have. The next good one to review is going to be your bank account. You know, we haven't really talked about going and looking at the performance of your bank because there's been zero performance in your bank account for however many years. You know, the joke was for a while, how much is your bank paying you in interest? And the joke was, no, you're actually paying them the interest because it was so low. But now there's reasonable CD rates. People are getting nice fixed income guaranteed rates from banks. So if you're sitting at a bank and you've got a really low savings account, you know, they're still paying you half a percent of your savings account. And you can go buy yourself a six or a 12 month CD that's got a really attractive rate. And you know you're not going to use this. It might be time to evaluate how much money you're keeping in savings and maybe putting some into some other, you know, safe investment vehicle that gives you a much better return. Yeah, I think some other questions you could ask about the your bank and who you're banking with. Do you feel like they're on your side? Are they transparent? Um, and then kind of what you were just alluding to, do they offer you? any rewards or anything for banking? Well, all those things you're probably gonna see improve, right? They're, they're gonna start paying more interest on savings accounts. They're gonna offer better CDs. I know for a long time, at least since I've been doing any sort of meaningful banking with anyone, um, like the high yield checking accounts, you do so many transactions, you get certain interest rate on those. So I would imagine some of those things are going to be a little bit more favorable and it's probably a good time they to take a look at that and just do a do a little review of what are the options are there any other banks around that could maybe help me out a little bit more maybe maybe not i know you can help people with the next one if you don't have a retirement account open one if you need to open one now you can go to btwellshow.com that's but an easy one that's just an easy visit one. our website make an appointment just get started uh you know it's a great time if you Let's say you've went this whole year, you haven't made any any contributions in anything, you haven't thought about it, you get a windfall at Christmas, just like we talked about from your employer, go open a Roth IRA, put some money in there. A lot of times people, and I think this is people's personality, they're scared to do something in the beginning, but once they start to do it, they feel much better about it. It's just the fear of doing something new. You know, think about someone who doesn't have a financial advisor. And we say, go open, a, go open a retirement account. You know what they're saying at home? What's a retirement account? Oh, they have no idea. They have no idea what it is. So I would say open a retirement account, but if you don't even know what that is or how to start, just go contact the financial advisor, get their opinion as to what you can do to improve your financial success and retirement going forward. And this is a great time to do it. Start to set some goals for next year. Uh, and the, you know, the same thing goes for like a health savings account. If you have the option to do an HSA, start using it. You know, if you're eligible for this, those contributions, your HSA are tax deductible. They can be used for, they come out tax free for health related things. I think most of us know at some point we're going to use some of our health plan. I know if you have kids, you're using a bunch of your health insurance plan. I know how often my kids go to the doctor. It's all the time. Yeah, kids are expensive. Certainly their health care is expensive. I got to tell you, there was a time I'm like, man, why do all these parents take their kids to the doctors? How are they using more than three copays a year? We use like three copays a month. I mean, our kids are sick or at the doctor for something all the time between their allergies and sinus infections and all this other stuff. They are there 
all the time. I I don't mind go sometimes. I honestly don't really know how often they go because I don't take them. But I know it's expensive because I help pay those bills. Thirty bucks every time, which actually yeah, seems like a bargain and for what it really is. But yeah, and I I should really probably understand all that and how that works better. But I just get the bill and pay it. That's a that's my level of understanding on all that. So the last one here, I think, is actually a really good one. And that's as we think about planning for next year, you can start planning on next year's contributions you're going to make. So I think a lot of people kind of ad hoc how much money they want to give away or what they're going to do to the church or how much money they're going to put into Roth IRAs and 401ks. If you sat down right now in November and said, my goal next year is to, to max out a Roth IRA for my wife and myself or just myself, whatever it is your chances of accomplishing that goal if you start today are significantly better than if you wait till next November and say, I want to max out my Roth IRA this year and I have to write a check. Now we've talked about in previous episodes, one of the best way to do is just make a weekly contribution. 125 bucks a week to a Roth IRA maxes one out. For the year. Yeah. You're talking weekly. Yeah. Weekly. Yeah. Do weekly. Yeah. Yep. All these are options. I mean, we, we do a bad job of offering people the option of doing a monthly contribution. Weekly's great. I do mine weekly, every week, by yeah, the same four mine. mutual funds every single yeah, week. All mine are on week, set up weekly as well. The pain's way, way less when it's weekly versus one time a year. If yeah, it's one time a year, people find a reason to not do it. Yeah, I think the other another good strategy that's very simple to implement and would be a good idea to help your contributions for next year, go into your 401k and raise it 1%, at least 1%. All right. If you got any kind of raise this year and you just raise your savings rate 1%, um, you're not really going to notice that difference in your cash flow. And if you do that every year for five to 10 years, think about all of the additional investments you're going to make and how that can really be in your favor for the long term. So that's a very simple. And one thing I really like we run into sometimes there's 401k plans out there that let you, they do the automatic escalation where you can say, I want to increase 1% every year and it does it automatically. If your company offers that just signed up for annual increases, you'll never notice. And you'll be doing yourself a big favor for the long term. No, you're right. Most people won't ever notice that they are, um, that they increase their 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 contribution one percent, especially when they break it out between two pay periods. Think about that; it's just so much less. Oh, you get paid two thousand a pay period, extra one percent is twenty bucks. You'll never know it came out, and that's going to add up over the years. That's going to add up to be a lot of extra money that you socked it, away. It'll be massive. And then I think the last the last thing we start to see a lot of this year is charitable giving. And we always think of charitable giving as benefits to others. And that I think people that have a charitable inclination, that's why they're doing it. There is benefits to you from a tax standpoint when you do charitable giving. You know, I don't think people who gift money give it away just for taxes. I think people no. think that. I think it's an added like, benefit. It's a benefit. It makes them feel good. They want to help an organization or a subset of people who maybe is less fortunate. And oh, by the way, they get a tax benefit for doing so. I really appreciated this show, Elias. 
It's great to have you back. Thanks. I appreciate you, Roger. Hey, Elias, the show would not, it's kind of like Doug Wagner. The show wouldn't be the same without you. Just like our radio show is not the same without Doug. With that said, I want to thank everybody for listening. If you need help with anything we talked about today, you can go to btwellshow.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.